Hello and welcome back to Platform Enterprise, a podcast for people who are pissed off with capitalism. I'm your host, Rachel Donald. I'm an investigative journalist and a writer. You can find some of my work over at platformenterprise.com, where, most importantly, you can sign up to get these podcast episodes delivered straight to your inbox every week. On this week's episode is David Anderson. David runs this fantastic nonprofit called Simbi, which uh, facilitates an alternative economy. He calls it a barter-esque marketplace. And essentially what it is, is people can sign up uh, to exchange with one another and they can either exchange services or exchange Simbi credits. This is kind of what crypto could have been and should have been and hopefully will continue to be, you know, a facilitation for people to build relationships, uh, to strengthen their community and not to replace the dollar, he says, but to work alongside our normal currencies because, frankly, they're scarce for many of us. And so if some people can save 100 euros or dollars or pounds uh, working with Simbi credits and working with people in their community, then hopefully the money they save can go towards food uh, or rent or these necessities. I think you guys will really, really love it. There's a lot of shout-outs to Brett Scott uh, and to David Graeber throughout. It's kind of becoming a theme on the podcast. Uh, so before you go, please leave our conversation a five-star rating on whatever podcast app you're listening on, and also leave us a comment to let us know what you think. All right, everyone, enjoy the show. So, David, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure, and thank you for reaching out. You're like the first person that's contacted me to be on the show, so I feel a little bit like a celebrity. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So it's, it's, which episode was it that, that got you thinking? Is it Brett's? Yeah. The one about what money really means? Yeah. I'm a big fan of Brett Scott's. And uh, so when I, I, I saw his podcast, I was like, oh, that fits perfectly for Cindy. Oh, excellent. And did it, did it all make sense? Everything that he was saying? I think I had to ask like a different point. So I was like, can you just, can you just clarify? Can you just repeat that for, for my brain? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's that's his whole specialty is diving into things that like are really hard to explain and and thus like have thrown most people off in terms of what they mean and how they work and, and you know how to how to deal with it. So like actually taking the time to let him expand on it for an hour plus is really, really helpful, I think, in general. Oh, cool. Have you applied his philosophy to Simbi at all? Um, absolutely. I, I would say I was already kind of on the same track when I was beginning to work on Simbi. And so it just so happens that I kind of agreed with a lot of his philosophy. It's just that he's done a lot of the, uh, like, internal investigation of the finance system to kind of like confirm a lot of the, the things that I had been assuming along the way, probably, and um, a lot of the design decisions that, that were going into Simbi at the time. For sure. Oh, excellent. Excellent. I love I love that the collective subconsciousness when people find people on the other side of the world working on the same things. I think it, it gives me hope for for the state of the future. Yeah. Well, he's one of the few people who makes me feel not crazy because it, it, <laughs> you know, like I, I you're always kind of bouncing idea, new ideas off of uh, off of yourself and other people and trying to figure out exactly what makes sense. And I had been working in the kind of alternative uh, super alternative side of currency, like not even crypto, like community currency and and um, very, very alt- alternative, I guess is the best best phrase. But uh, being able to connect that work at a very community level to what is happening philosophically at, or and, and practically at the level of the financial system is really important because people don't really get into alternative economies until they not only see the problem with the current economy, but um, if they see the problem and, and or see a problem and don't really define the problem correctly, then they end up with all kinds of really crazy solutions that a lot of times end up reinforcing similar problems or even the same problems directly. And that's why it's really important when people like Brett talk about Bitcoin and crypto and things like that to f- frame them correctly as still within the existing monetary system because all of them are priced in dollars and will remain priced in dollars mm. unless they're you know, used as an actual uh, medium of exchange at some point. So, um, you know, I, I think it's really hard to, um, to connect 
all of the different things that you have to connect to be able to have a coherent alternative monetary um, message. And so Brett's one of the only people, I know he's still struggling with figuring out exactly how to do it in the most effective way possible. And that's why he's got like a, a lot of like artistic YouTube videos and, and things like that. Um, but that's just the, the facts that it's so complex that you can't really get a, a real picture of it without resorting to, to non-simple imagery. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Everything you just said. Yes. And I think, um, <laughs> I think I know it's been sort of, um, disappointing for like the, the, well, for some of the crypto community, so maybe the people that were there at the beginning, how it's been sort of capitalized on and just made into a commodity. Mm, um, mm -hmm. and certainly it's a shame that like the crypto that rolls off the tongue for your, for your layman is also so environmentally destructive. And that kind of takes away from, I think, you know, having looked at the white paper, not read all of it, but it wasn't birthed for that. And certainly the majority of people working on alternative economy projects is to serve the community rather than to line somebody's pockets. Yeah. And, and I, I do think Bitcoin, like it, Bitcoin especially illustrates what I was describing, where if you don't get the monetary theory exactly right, then anything you try to do is, is going to eventually screw up in, in some of the same ways. And so when when Brett was describing Bitcoin as a super conservative monetary theory, um, it, it really is. If you go through the white paper, there's all sorts of things in the white paper as far as the like economic assumptions of, of how it works that are kind of laughable on, on face if you're really looking at the whole monetary perspective. Um, and so I, I think it was just kind of a natural response that people, if they're not seeing those those issues and they kind of come to take the, uh, the economic assumptions in the white paper as gospel, then they don't even realize that they end up inheriting this super conservative monetary philosophy of money just being an asset and, you know, and, and there being like a right way to uh, an obvious, simple right way to do it, like 21 million bitcoins, simple, right? Mm. Like, no, that's not, that's, that's not uh, useful. It may be simple, but it's certainly not useful. Um, so yeah, I think there's there's a lot to be said for really um, accepting the the necessary nuance of of money because Bitcoin just simplifies it down to say oh the banks are doing this terrible thing and so let's us do this terrible thing the same way <laughs> essentially it's, it's still power to the people <laughs> well it's power to the people but it's like power to the first people who get in and and yeah. screw everybody else and like that doesn't create a, 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 a it may be fairer in in the way that it's that it's created because anybody potentially could be one of the first people in if they're like clever and smart enough to and lucky enough to to be there but that doesn't actually mean it's a significantly better system than the way money is distributed now um i like you can see a system is bad and come up with a response to it and that response be almost as bad or just as bad and not actually solve the the issues you're you're thinking about you know i had a guest on months ago um who used this fantastic phrase that stuck with me uh crisis of imagination mm -hmm. and I think this is a nice moment to segue into, you know, how have you, before we go into introduce your project, how difficult is it to imagine uh, new systems or new ways of trading with each other or using money, uh, given how embedded we are in a very conservative monetary system? Uh, I mean, I think it's obviously super difficult because very few people do it right <laughs> i mean the, the, <laughs> the fact that crypto has blown up as much as it has shows that there really is like a, a latent um understanding that that money isn't serving us the way that it could and um and so when i criticize crypto and and all the shortcomings and uh, you know the lack of forethought that's put into a lot of the projects it's like coming from a good place in terms of like them realizing mm -hmm. that the existing financial system doesn't serve us but at the same time, like usually people like get to the level of like, oh man, they just print dollars out of thin air. Well, that's not fair. You know, let's find a, a way for me to print dollars out of thin air. And that's like literally where the conversation ends. Um, so, so, you know, like you really do need to explore the nuance of how, how everything possibly could work in order to like build a systems perspective to have any kind of chance of like 
um, accurately evaluating these types of issues and like really deciding if any particular currency design is going to be useful. Like you, it, it takes like pulling from a lot of disciplines, not just like one very obvious worldview. Like the only people working on this are people who have the ability to like make counter arguments to themselves and, and be intellectually honest about it constantly. You know, like if there's, if you have a dog in the fight, you're never going to have a, a useful perspective for the most part. Oh, that's interesting. And that's why I think Brett is so useful as, as an example is because he's like not in any of those fights. He doesn't, you know, he, he may own some crypto or something possibly, but I really don't think he does, to be honest. Like, you know, he's like, he's stayed <laughs> out of all, all of that. And, you know, his kind of like bona fides about it are pretty like not challengeable for the most part mm. you know, because he's. Like, it's just so easy when anyone else is who is tied to crypto is talking about it. It's like, okay, I, I get that you don't want to, you've invested a lot in this and you don't want to, you know, go to zero, but <laughs> it's like, that, that's too much of the motivation if you're like, because otherwise you have to like dig super deeply into it and acknowledge that there are like certain things about each side that you really have to deal with. Like, and that's not, you don't see that happening too much on the, it's just, you know, so you asked originally about the crisis of imagination. It seems like there was a lot of imagination being put into all of these new DeFi and, and crypto projects. Um, the problem is that like the imagination is a pretty surface level imagination. It's it, it, for the most part, it's like taking a lot of the same assumptions about money that everyone has and um, just making like slightly cooler designed or like more collectible tokens than <laughs> than mm. they they were before but it's not actually necessarily doing anything so hopefully simbi like starts to address um some of some of the issues there and and you know we're not perfect yet because it's super complex but that's that's the goal is to have simbi be an example of a community currency that doesn't fall into any of those traps and you make other trade-offs too in order to do that but i think for like the long term picture of how uh, a community currency or a, a small alternative economy grows you kind of have to like you're always going to have trade-offs it's it's choosing the most important trade-offs um, for long-term viability i think it's a good time to introduce simbi um yeah. what it is how long you've been working on it etc sure so simbi is an online uh most people think of it as a bartering marketplace for people uh on uh, anywhere in the world. Um, there is a virtual currency on the site that allows people to not have to barter directly, but can, uh, you know, they can uh, sell their services or, or time for Symbi credits and then use those later. So it's got like all of the basic aspects of a full-fledged alternative economy, um, like to, to not use dollars. It's theoretically possible that someone could just live uh, entirely on Symbi if they had enough of uh, enough people in a community around them also using Symbi. Um, but it's not really intended to fully replace dollars. It's more intended to give everyone an option to be able to get certain things from people they may not necessarily know without using uh, dollars that they may want to keep to spend on rent or food or other things that they can only get uh, for dollars. So that, that was the original um, kind of uh, push for Symbi was this idea that like, Dollars are very scarce. Our talents and services are not as scarce as the dollars that we are forced to use to transact them. And thus, it totally makes sense to have a like expanded um, barter-esque economy. You can use a virtual currency easily, but the, it makes sense to have that extra economy on top of dollars to ease some of that scarcity. Okay. Um, <clears throat> before we get into exactly how it works... Mm -hmm. Um, the bartering aspect, do you think that that's a step towards a direction in which people will just eventually help each other out in their communities or do you want it to stay barter-esque? Uh, I, I think there's, it's, it's kind of a distinction without a difference. Like people, people will only barter if it's like helping themselves and helping someone else at the same time. And there's nothing about that that like, makes people not feel uh, generous or willing to, to give other gifts. Um, I think there's a lot of like misinformation around how, or kind of uh, inaccurate history around what barter means. And people think of it as a very um, 
like direct transaction based. Like I'm only going to do this if they meet my price kind of thing. But like historically, barter has been much more of a credit arrangement, even even among um, people who don't live in the same community. Like they're they're not always just like giving one for one. There's there's often been credit involved, and so I don't think it's like. I don't think it's something that drives anyone in any particular direction. There's like a lot of gray area when people are actually being in an economy or actually, you know, participating in an economy. All right. Um, I just asked that because I I read recently, um, well, not so recently now, David Graeber's Debt, The First 5,000 Years. Yeah, one of my favorite Um, books. Yeah, I I can hear that in what you're saying. Uh, But I just, I did find it very interesting to learn that... um, tokens um did not necessarily equate to any kind of cash for a long time that things are traded in terms of relationships um or to represent things and so it's just nice to clarify that because when i hear barter i i think of kind of what he explained as barter in the first part which is that you know economists have thought that trading and bartering was the extent of human relationships in an economy and that's just not true right Uh, it was used to build relationships yeah, abs- and that's obviously what you're aiming for. Absolutely, and and it can still be the former because people don't have to know each other. They can just exchange one to one. But but in reality, what happens is people actually do build relationships over time, especially if they exchange multiple times or or whatever. So that like it, uh, the strict myth of barter is what is what Graeber was addressing there. Like the, this idea that everyone just like traded because that was the only way to do things um when in fact it's obviously not the only way to do things you can just give yeah. credit to someone at any time that you want you can be as generous as you want and expect as much as you want in return at any time and there's no like there's no limits to how that should work within human nature whatsoever and the kind of like simplistic idea of of homo economicus like economic man is that like that never there's never any variation there that everyone is always just like making strict calculations. And that's not actually how it works at all. Like I'm sure that even Graeber would have said uh, that like people will occasionally just barter whenever and they're like, Oh, I have this right now and you have this right now, but it just happens to be a coincidence of needs. And 90% of the time you don't have an exact direct coincidence of needs and you're going to issue credit to your friend, you know, or the person or the merchant that you just met who's at the trading post with you you know like there's um it's it's never as like obviously simple as the story is told and i think that was graver's like great contribution was like no this is not simple at all this is you know there's many different types of money and many different things that we may not even understand as money that was like still representing value to, to other people um and i think simbi can take pieces of that also like there is the direct virtual currency but also there like internally within Symbi there's like a, a reputation system that kind of like gets more at what Graver was talking about in terms of like how people would issue credit to each other like the most generous person is is the most well known and will obviously be taken care of because they have been being generous for so long for so many people mm. And so, like, it's getting into that level of complexity that that is, I think, more interesting for for humanity. What I like that it addresses um, is the problem of volunteering, mm-hmm. which is that it's a typically very middle class and up thing to do mm-hmm. because not everybody has endless time to give to a cause. Um, or to sure. give to an organization or whatever. And volunteering is a very tricky philosophical, you know, economic and philosophical thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I actually like it that you can exchange these um, credits on this Symbi marketplace to one another because it, it gives a form of value that somebody can then use to go and fulfill their needs rather than just expecting everybody to live off of their soul being filled up yeah. on their own good deeds. <laughs> yeah, well, unfortunately, like people can't right now buy cre- buy food or like get a room to rent or something on, using their Symbi credits. But the idea that volunteers can be rewarded by the by the good uh you know the charities and and the uh, folks with a good mission that they're volunteering for is a super powerful concept just to like for those people to be able to who are getting that work done to be able to give a reward that is useful Mm. out of nothing and Mm. and the the interesting analogy there um to go back to like everyone 
getting mad at the banks for printing money out of nothing and deciding to do Bitcoin instead is that like, okay, you can see what how, how money works right now. And, and there's actually like a, a pretty useful analogy for how like w- what that means in Simbi's case is like these these uh, nonprofits are essentially banks in the Simbi system. They're uh, a level below Simbi as an organization like on, on the platform, but they can uh, make credits essentially out of nothing to give to volunteers um, for doing good work. And then those volunteers can go get things that they would need on the on the um, Simbi platform and kind of extend the economy. Oh, I thought it was just sort of one-to-one, like um, person-to-person, but there's NGOs involved as well. Yeah, absolutely. Or- so so it previously, historically, has always been just individuals, one-to-one, and the only way credits were created on the system were as essentially sign-up bonuses. So it's pretty equivalent to um, a like credit limit in a time bank that you might have or, or another community currency where the system just has a rule that no one can go below negative 100 credits or something and that's how you make make sure people aren't taking advantage of the system in simbi it's essentially the same thing except that negative 100 credits is zero and um, people can get positive credits for their uh you know making a good profile and having a profile picture and things that contribute to their participation in the community up to a, a, a small limit like it's like 150 i think total simbi credits that someone can get if they do all the things Right. And so that creates an, an initial credit balance in, in the system mm-hmm. historically. That, that's the way SIMBI credits were always created. What we've done recently as we've switched SIMBI to a nonprofit is to layer on a new way to create SIMBI credits, which is for uh, nonprofit organizations to create them by paying volunteers. And so as time goes on, the proportion of new SIMBI credits made by that method will go up and the proportion made by sign-up bonuses will go down. And, um, and as long as you're like transparent about how those are being created the whole time, then it's like totally fine as long as everyone can see that. And there is like a Simbi economy page that you can see exactly how many credits are being created at, at any given time, that kind of thing. So that's like Simbi's, uh, I would say like a slight innovation in the community currency model because it allows people to um, talk about their Simbi credits. And when people say, oh, is that backed by anything? Like, you know, when people are using a, asset backed or resource backed mentality like bitcoin or gold or things like that um then you can immediately say to them yeah it's backed by volunteer effort like this this simbi credit was created because someone volunteered for a nonprofit for x amount of time or, or did this thing which which gives like a real describable quote unquote backing to your virtual currency but it doesn't actually function as a backing like you can't go redeem it for anything um, that, that is directly related to how it was created. You can't go back to the nonprofit and get them to give you, you know, a, a shelter bed or something, at least not yet. But it does give this like much more easy to understand story of, of where the currency comes from and how it um, relates to um, its users in the system. Because before, presumably, before you introduced this, there would have been a cap on how many credits could be in a system at any given time. If 150 was the maximum right. that somebody could earn, right? Right. Okay. Yeah. So. And now. It could. Yeah. Yeah. It could go up. You're right. Like if people do a ton of volunteering, you could have a lot more credits entering the system, and all that means is like there was a lot of work done in the system, and those people are like have the ability to get work or or other things for for themselves because of that. It's like, you know, you can track the velocity of that money very easily as it as it moves through the system. Hmm. That's interesting. Who, which NGOs or charities have you got to, to sign up with you? Uh, some pretty small ones so far. Uh, the Berkeley Zen Center was one of the first ones that, that joined. Um, a couple of other like spiritual-esque ones. Uh, there's one actually that was going to be the person that I platform at the end of this, or the, the organization <laughs> I platform at the end of this. They're called Community <laughs> Development Finance. Um, really cool organization. Um, but yeah, just pretty much anyone who has a has a, a need to, to get volunteer work and, and doesn't have a good system for doing that already is uh, perfect for the for the system there right now it's kind of optional if they're fully registered charities like we we do an individual check to make sure that they're actually a project with like a, a good mission 
Um, but mm. eventually at scale, we'll probably have to restrict it to like registered charities. God, that is really, really interesting. Thank you. That is a, an innovation. Yeah. Tell me, how has activity been over lockdown? Have you found that people are helping each other out more? Um, yeah, Simbi has had a lot more users, a lot more members back in 2017 kind of era. Um, so its actual history is it was founded as a for-profit startup that went through the Y Combinator startup school program, raised uh, yeah. a couple million dollars uh, from Silicon Valley investors, um, built the platform essentially from scratch, and mostly used advertising to get a ton of um, new members early on. Um, and the idea at the time was just to get a massive network of people and then figure out how to monetize it for you know investors later. Um, mm -hmm. And they, the massive network of people that they got to before running out of money was about 180,000 people. Um, wow. Yeah, so there was tons and tons of activity um, while there was kind of like investment in customer support and, and a lot of the kind of like high touch areas of maintaining a community like that. Um, but un unfortunately, like they didn't find a way to monetize in time and had to kind of uh, potentially were looking at shutting it down. Um, I was a consultant on a currency design originally back in like 2014, 2015, when they were first starting to work on the project. Um, and I ended up not continuing to work on it because I thought that it should be a nonprofit um, legal structure. And, you know, I thought it would be kind of have a better future that way long term. Um, but then fast forward five or six years and um, it didn't work as a nonprofit or as a, as a for profit. And luckily, I had another client at the time who was working on building a community currency who uh, had the resources to just say, you know what, let's just grab Simbi, stop working on building this new one and, and see if we can revive Simbi. Um, and then over the last year or two, I've worked with him to convert it to a nonprofit. Um, we'll start a new nonprofit, transfer um, Simbi into that and um, kind of like get its life started as a, as a nonprofit. So long story short, the uh, 180,000 people who joined previously could be reinvited, but in the time since um, Symbi was no longer being invested in, in terms of like team, customer support, that kind of thing, that ended late 2017, early 2018. So since then, there have been a lot less people using Symbi on a regular basis over and over until we um, kind of have started to revive it again. So right now it's a community of about a couple thousand people a month um, for the most part. And a lot of those people are people who have like still use it from like five years ago and had been using it for things that whole time. So we know like the core model is is um, useful for people and we just kind of have to like um, create an organic growth strategy rather than a paid growth strategy essentially. Well, I mean, that's great, though, because if you've had people stick with you from the beginning through all of that, then as you say, like, you know, the model works, you just need to find the kind of people that would be interested in this or, you know, try and re on board. Yeah, exactly. The and, other and, there's, and there's a lot of there's a lot to fine tune, no, no question about it. But um, we've we're constantly adding new features to it. Like we've literally just added internationalization two days ago like the ability to to oh. read simbi in any language you know and, and have set that as your default language and have that always translate for you um so hopefully that can make it easier for international users to to jump on and be able to communicate effectively um we know that there are certain communities that we do want to target at some point like you know spanish speakers in the u.s um are perfect for this this uh type of platform like a lot of them really need something like this um and you know not necessarily uh non-english speakers but we've also uh we've also been working with people who use other exchanges um for community currencies in other countries um who are either tired of like old software that isn't getting updated and want to switch over to Symbi, that type of thing um so we're excited about that but it's going to continue to require like tweaking exactly how the platform works because every community currency is different that people are using right now. Like the first thing I want to know is why from the beginning you thought it would work best as a nonprofit. Um, 
So it goes back to my experience in as a social entrepreneur. My first uh, business was a network of environmental blogs, and um, our our goal was to try and pay the writers as much as possible within that system. So we created a rev share system where we ran the whole network on like 30% of the revenue and every other dollar was passed down to the editorial teams. Um, this may seem disconnected, but it made me realize that like you're always making a trade-off between um, the uh, what you're investing in and your uh, investors' need for return if you're in a, in a for-profit mm. situation no matter what. Um, so like we were looking at like this pool of ad money that was coming in every month and I knew that I could basically do whatever I wanted at the top level to be able to um, keep writers around. And it turns out by far the best thing to do is just be 100% transparent about how much money is coming in and give them most of it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like that's, that's, what, that's what motivates people, you know. Um, and if you like bring it back into this version of things, like into the digital currency world, um, this the same concept basically applies. If there is any profit motive attached to the project, then it's going to affect how that, uh, like your incentives that you're creating within the project. And sometimes that works fine if you're like making shoes to sell or some, you know, there's some like product based reason why that just like totally makes sense. But in, in Simbi's case, there really is no direct good reason for it. And there's only, it's only a drag on the on your decision making as a um, as an organizer or as an entrepreneur, because you're you're eventually going to hit a situation where you can either do something good for your community or do something that your investor wants you to do. Um, bottom line, absolutely, and and absolutely, it, and it doesn't mean that the investor is like being mean or bad or anything. It's just it creates these kind of like um, like structural incentives in the uh, like on your cap table of the company that like you have to respond to. Um, yeah. And so especially in situations where there's like uh, a lot of um, maybe innovation is one word, but like especially in the like alternative currency world, there's like, I, I think it's very unhealthy for it to be a for-profit situation. <laughs> like I, I, I've never seen a situation where like the users benefited from the the uh, you know early adopters or investors or whoever you want to like like the core insiders um, like the I've never seen the the rest of the users also benefit from the core insiders benefiting. It's like a zero when you're looking at, at currency systems, especially Bitcoin or in, like the the obvious ones. They're all zero sum games, and some of them are negative mm -hmm. sum games like. Like Bitcoin on its face is a zero zero sum game, but the fact, like you mentioned previously, the environmental uh, impacts of that and like literally just like the cost to create Bitcoin makes it into a negative sum game, not just like even, but like bad. <laughs> um, so, mm. you know, and so I think like that's what you have to look at uh, first and then um, then you can kind of like build your plan on top of that and I think people just ignore that all right so what would you say then to that wonderful old adage that um profit drives innovation or capitalism drives innovation uh I think there is merit to the basic idea but I don't think it like uh is the like brain exploding smartest idea in the world because I think it's really clear that oftentimes uh profit drives copycats and a lack of innovation like there's there you can mm. you can point to examples all over the place where capitalism is incredibly inefficient at creating uh, actual innovation like just walk down the 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 aisle at the grocery store and there's 37 different cereals that are exactly the same and no one has come up with a better new cereal in 50 years like there's no <laughs> yeah, like it doesn't produce innovation in everything it's just the fact that like um, it is a real thing that some people want to get rich and so become very interested in doing anything they need to do in order to do that. And sometimes really good innovation will come out of that, right? Like, that, like mm. that's, uh, I think it's hard to deny that that like has happened in the past. You know, like Henry Ford comes to mind as like a really <laughs> strong example of that potentially. But like he was also, he also liked Nazis. So like, <laughs> you know, like not, a, not everybody is like, like, you know, there's, there's, 
um, there's rationality and there's also like values and they're always constantly intersecting. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I think we can often say that need drives innovation. Perhaps, perhaps that's the, the, the foundation underneath all of it because if somebody wants to get rich, maybe that's because of some perceived need as well. Um, sure. And so what maybe Simbi is doing is providing people a platform um, in which to serve each other's needs without sacrificing that of another in order to get there. That's a really good way to put it. I don't think I've ever heard someone put it that way before, but it does really address the um, the underlying idea that that dollars are enforcing artificial scarcity on on us and and the fact that there's so much more abundance like in people's skills and and assets and everything than there are dollars to go around um is ref mm. is reflected in that statement for sure i saw that a lot on your website the the word abundance came up a lot mm -hmm. um at first i thought it might be some kind of like you know hippie california meaning of the word I think that's how it started out for sure. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, the thing, yeah. the, the problem with, you know, dollars is that, um, you know, there are enough dollars to go around. They're just not going to go around in the in the current system. Um, yeah, I guess you could technically <laughs> say there are enough dollars sitting somewhere to go around. They're just people don't ex don't I think we know where they're don't sitting. have an experience of of having enough dollars to go around. Um, mm. But yeah, the, the original company company name for Simbi was Abundance Labs Incorporated. Um, so that so the the founder of Simbi really liked the concept of abundance and the idea of abundance. And she had had a yoga studio in, in Northern California um, where she so to, to go back to the hippie thing. Um, yeah. so that that's where the idea for her for Simbi came from was that she was bartering all these services for space in her yoga studio. She was getting like plumbers and painters and people to do things for space in her yoga classes. And she was like, why isn't there a platform to do this? And so that was the original kind of founding spark of realizing like, hey, these dollars are restricting the abundance that exists between me and the other people in my community, um, rather than facilitating the, the flow of, of those things. You said at the beginning that you um, don't envision Simbi as a currency or as a platform that could completely replace dollars or would completely replace dollars. Do you think that um, together with other alternative economy models that could happen in the future? Uh, I, I think so. Um, I also think that people like don't give dollars and and like the international banking system enough credit for how it does facilitate a lot of really complex logistical supply chain issues. Like I can't conceive of how Bitcoin or Symbi credits or, or anything like that can actually like get a computer made, you know, or get a cell phone made. Mm. Like, you know, like given how systems in the existing economy work right now, like I don't, I've never seen anyone explain the process by which that would actually work. So I think you like, it does make sense to maintain an international financial system in in some form the question is like how transparent that is and you know like other like smaller or not smaller but like more specific issues within that um in simbi's case i think the ideal would be for everyone to have access to, to simbi or something like it but to use that for a relatively small percentage of their economic activity um at least at first um, i would much rather have a million people use Simbi for 1% of their economic activity than a thousand people use Simbi for everything they do. Um, it would be really cool, to be honest, to see a, a community of a thousand people like doing that. But I don't think that's actually really possible in the modern world because so much of what we get is coming from very far away places and we don't even think about it or mm. see it. Um, and so like the alternative economy system that you would have to build in order to facilitate international trade at that level um, like not just trade, but the actual building of the products and doing that in multiple different countries and all like all of the pieces that go into um, like our actual modern lives are very hard to replicate with a simple system we can just slap in place, uh, like to replace what the, the massively complex thing that already exists that takes even people who completely understand it hours to explain going back to Brett's <laughs> situation, you know? Um, and I think 
would right. probably say something similar. Is just like there's the existing systems we have are like they're complex for a reason. It's not like part of yeah. it's obfuscation and the ability for people who control it to to profit in certain ways. But also, uh, those people aren't necessarily like that's not necessarily the driving original thing in the system for most of the people who am, are in roles that control its function. Um, yeah, I, I think assigning a massive uh, conspiracy to the hundreds of thousands or millions of people who actually run the financial system it is like is a little tough to believe. Um, there may be a very few people at the top who are really good at like uh, managing everyone else's expectations. Um, but at the same time, I think most people are just in a situation where they're they have systemic incentives that they have to respond to, and they probably don't really understand too much outside of what they're what they are seeing and touching and 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 are able to to control. Like I know for a fact that's true with most of the bank managers at you know at the lower Federal Reserve level or anything like that. Like they are literally just looking at balance sheets and like and trying to keep their bank profitable, right? And 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 by sure. doing that, they are ensuring that they get you know, their, their mortgage paid for and that kind of thing. But like, that's not the same thing at all as a conspiracy to hold everyone down by managing a, an unfair money system. Like those are two different things. Well, is it, I mean, okay. It's not, okay. Exactly what you just said would, you know, perhaps be a conspiracy, <laughs> but um, it's not far off, though. I mean, we've lived through the economic crises of the past, uh, what, coming up 14 years now. We do know that money is deliberately mismanaged uh, in order to induce profits for people. Uh, as a journalist, I work a lot covering Malaysia and like the amount of like corruption that goes on there in broad daylight and people like deliberately like uh, building political systems and building companies and just to exploit as much as they can for their own personal gain. Like it is happening. Oh, 100%, 100 really happens is. at individual levels. I'm talking about the people at the level of designing the financial system. I think most of those people are just trying to not have the system crash. I think it's, it's much like, yes, any individual, their incentives are often, are, are just driven by, you know, the, 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 ideal of getting super rich and they don't really care who they step on to do that but that's much more of like a like a at the lower level of the system than anyone um designing or maintaining the system those people you're describing are just using the system right that's like it's like a it's like a you don't think well i don't know i mean you know I've, we've all read reports that you know the bankers capital t capital b were warned before 2008 that their borrowing and spending was going to lead to a global recession. They were warned, they were told, right, but and yet they continue to do so. And it's systemic. It's not, you know, a case of a couple of rogue individuals. And I absolutely agree that an environment and, and um, you know, the pathologies that exist within a system will then kind of, you know, induce that in somebody. Yes, 100%. But nevertheless, you know, there is deliberate... Um, exploitation and abuse going on at top levels that does result in keeping a lot of people down. Totally. But I, I, I still think that's individual people responding to their individual incentives rather than anyone designing that, that outcome for the system. And that's the distinction I'm trying to make is that um, it's just, it's more of a tragedy of the common situation than it is like a evil overlord who has everything figured out and is like, and, and is pulling puppet strings. Um, the, sure, the sure, because that's incredibly disempowering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I and but uh, unfortunately, I think that is the narrative. The reason I make such the distinction like so, so vividly or you know strongly is that um, I think that is the narrative that most people who get into cryptocurrency see. They just feel in, entirely disempowered by this like massive system that seems like it's just this shadow world that like they have no access to. And that's true. They have no access to it. And it's a massive system. And it's a shadow world. But as Brett points out, it's because it's like, in massively complex, and people complexify in order to make make more money, because they can be cleverer than the next guy and, and make money from it. But it's constantly those people responding to the individual incentive of, of that original design that, that uh, I think people 
attribute uh, intent to the design that is having those effects. Um, and it, you know, may very well be like I wasn't at Jekyll Island in 1913 when they decided to establish the Federal Reserve. But like there are other explanations for why the Federal Reserve uh, should have been established than just like those nine people want to want to control the world because they're uh, because they're amazing. Like they they uh, they're industrialists. They were. Yes, they were trying to control things. They're trying to control the economy. Does that mean they had like a uh, like broader, deeper plan from a secret society or something? I, I think that's where it gets into like like a, a lot more questionable and unprovable. And that that that's yeah, still yeah. So like ninety percent of people who question the monetary system think of it like that. It's just this like cabal that is you know running things like there's totally a cabal but they like go to tea parties and stuff they're not you know they're not uh <laughs> this is yeah this is the whole like the elite are actually lizards wearing human skin like q and all yeah um, if, or even that old disgusting one like the jews run the world that was what it was you know for the 20th century and it still is you um, know in a, in a lot of ways like that's that's what i'm trying to address there sure. you know is Okay, yes. So, absolutely, we can agree on that. <laughs> However, I would still argue, don't worry, we definitely agree on that. I would still definitely argue, though, that there is a middle ground of nuance and complexity and all of the shades of grey. <laughs> um, that, in fact, whilst, yes, some people are kind of responding to individual needs, which we are all guilty of. I mean, the other thing is, like, if one were to follow the exact same life path as one of these many people that are in control, like, do you really think you would be that different? Exactly. Like, why is it that billionaires kind of are, you know, slightly psychopathic? Like, it's not because they're all psychopaths. It's because of whatever that does to you, having that much control or power or money or whatever. Nevertheless, um, I think that we can see from the webs of corruption that cover the world that whilst there aren't people controlling the world, i.e. puppeteering every individual man um, and our choices and our beliefs, there is definitely webs um, of corruption that are created to enforce exploitation and to enforce that individual need for a select few, whether it's the 1% or whether it's the elite or however you want to call for it. For sure. And I think the difference is that that the mindset behind that is uh, one of like almost like fatalism of like this is how it needs to be in order like in order for me mm. to survive it needs to be this way um, and it comes down to like mm. a, a mindset of scarcity in general versus a mindset of abundance in general and if you see yourself as like this individual point in space that is that constantly threatened with destruction that you know you have to build a, a set of defenses around yourself to keep the the entropy at bay and you know that kind of thing then that's the natural reaction is to take as much as you can screw everyone else and like it's entirely justified there's no one who can make like who can tell you that like your uh, argument is bad because they just they're, they're like look around like you know this that's this is the yeah. world it's it, there is scarcity it's a real yeah. thing um yeah. but there are that, can I just say, that's an excellent um, description, I Yes. Think. Uh, the opposite is there's a lot of people out there who see abundance in the world and don't see it as a fundamentally scarce thing. They see how much uh, human connection there is and, and the fact that we can take care of each other in, in given situations if we decide to, right? Like there's, like it's people there's a whole group of people who, who don't see it as a foregone conclusion that you have to be selfish in order in order to survive right like they they see everything as an interconnected web where everything helps everything else and and there's no like there's none of that kind of like individual fear of annihilation kind of kind of thing it's like as long as the whole group gets goes along together and like we are all part of a single evolution of the human species or whatever you know like those are two very different ways to view the world and they will affect every single decision that you make all the way down. So anyone who grows up in that individual, like super individualistic scarcity based mindset is going to take actions that are justified by that mindset a hundred percent. And so like what the financial system does, whether anyone designed it to do this uh, or not, like it doesn't really matter because that's the effect that it has is 
bringing people up mm. in a system where all they see is scarcity and that's the that's the air that mm. they breathe that's the water that they swim in is this understanding of the world and so any action that you mm. take is that may be super corrupt that may hurt other people etc is justified by by that like if if i don't exploit someone someone's going to exploit me and that's you know the way yeah. it is and I think it's really it's really useful to have these conversations because we do need to start figuring out what exact what components do we need to add to our education system in order to fight against this sort of inevitability of neoliberalism, <laughs> which I hear is out now, <laughs> uh, according to the socialists, um, or what kind of you know support systems do we need in place for a CEO who manages a conglomerate uh, because as you said like that it's it becomes such a huge thing when there's so much to lose right. that you do need to protect yourself so much and guard against the entropy I love what you said it's so true so like how do we put things in place to combat those kind of eventual self-protective instincts right. that are of course going to right. arise I think I have an answer no kind of um, I mean I think I think things like Simbi go a long way towards um, starting to get people out of that place. Obviously, like people who aren't already open to that aren't really going to join Symbi. And so it's not going to solve the CEO's yeah. problem. But I, I do think that like more generally, the key is to give people who are in a scarcity based mindset, the experience of abundance, uh, uh, particularly like the human connection version, you know, like to that's the only way to really like get people to change is to make them realize that their previous assumptions weren't the only way to think about something. Um, and that's the only way I've ever seen anyone change is like they're, you know, having a personal experience that to them is experienced as a miracle of some kind, you know, like even if it's not. I totally agree with you. But going back to what you just said, that doesn't solve the problems for the CEOs or that won't necessarily attract the CEOs or the politicians, or the, the decision makers, the, yeah. oh my God, the influencers. Um, <laughs> so how do we get, because this is the thing, and I think yeah. you see this in society and in community, people that don't have much tend to be very generous with each other because they know what it's like to experience scarcity. Uh, we're social creatures, we're built to build relationships with one another. We enjoy having community, lockdown, you know, the pandemic has really, really proven that. So like, generally speaking, your average Joe might, you know, we might contain some of the pathology that could eventually become, you know, the, the psychopathy of, of being extremely rich given the opportunity, but we are not the problem necessarily. So how do we solve that problem? How do we get to the, the decision makers? Yeah, how do we get them in in alternative economies? I, I don't think there is a force-based way to do it. I don't think there's, a, there's like a, a generalizable plan that you can create to do that because... The problem isn't one of, um, it, it isn't a cookie cutter problem. It's a different mm. mental block for every single person that you talk to. You know, it's like, it has to come from relating to them as a person and their, and their particular like life experience. I mean, I know there's like gurus who go to CEOs of big companies and it's almost become like a joke at this point because, yeah. you know, the they're like getting the CEO to meditate or whatever. And it's just kind of like hilarious. And I, yeah. and that's, that's why I say, I don't think there is a cookie cutter kind of plan you can do to create that. I think what you can do is get a million people using something like Simbi and then they have to start to notice because of the way their existing incentives, like make them think about it. And that's, a, that's the point at which you can say, okay, what's different about this platform and why is this platform succeeding in ways that might completely break your worldview or your expectation, right? Mm -hmm. But I don't think you can do it like before that. It's more like you have, it's always a show versus tell and show yep. and showing is really hard and can take a long time um, at, at scale for the type of thing like, like Simbi is. Um, it can happen very quickly on an individual basis, right? Like a CEO could just meet someone at Burning Man that like changes their whole <laughs> worldview, right? And that's happened many, many times. Um, that doesn't mean every like revelation or revelation period that someone has is like going to fully get them there or anything. Like that might have to happen a few times to someone in different contexts. Uh, but it, I've I've never seen or heard of anything other than just like a personal experience that, that changes people's assumptions about the world like that. Um, it's just like they've had that experience constantly since they were a child. And unless you can like 
completely break that in their mind. Like it's, you know, it, it takes what they see as a miracle of some kind or something that just like doesn't like miracles, a strong word, but it really just means like something that you don't have a pre-existing explanation for when you experience it. Um, and that's, that's what I'm getting at with them is like, you know, like these, these are people who have never been shown generosity in significant ways in you know, in, in like certain ways that they might not realize, you know? Um, and I think it really comes down to that eventually, but in the meantime, we can build things like Simbi and, and help other people experience abundance. Just a side note. I don't know if you saw it. Um, Abigail Disney wrote an op-ed, um, can't remember where, maybe the New Yorker, um, explaining that she'd read the article about how, you know, Bezos, you know, for a couple of years didn't pay any taxes and Musk the same. And she, she read, you know, how all of these tips and tricks and she wrote this op-ed saying, these are the tips and tricks my accountants have been giving to me. Like this is this is when you're raised in that world. This is seen as like morally justifiable. Like it's literally the environment that you're raised in. Exactly. Um, the water you yeah, swim in. Exactly. Exactly. I thought it was very very interesting. Um, have your users reached out to you and given you feedback that Simbi is affecting how they or impacting how they see the world and how they exist in the world? Absolutely. Over over time, there's been tons and tons of people who have done both unsolicited and solicited testimonials for, for Simbi. Uh, there's probably 20 of them uh, on Simbi's blog um, that have been posted over the years. That was one of the main ways that the previous Simbi team was doing like um, uh, kind of outreach online marketing type stuff is by posting those types of testimonials. And, you know, we, we're constantly getting thank yous and, and things like that from people, especially if we like launch a new feature that people weren't expecting or, you know, that, if you succeed in some way that people weren't expecting, then they're, you know, they're very appreciative. And the, the folks who are, are super active on Symbian have been for a long time. Uh, they like all, all of them at some point have reached out to, to say thank you and to be like, Hey, how can we make this bigger? Oh, that's fantastic. Um, I'm just thinking of a couple of people actually that I would love to hook you up with. Awesome. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who are not necessarily doing similar projects, but definitely out of the same kind of incentive or desire. Cool. Definitely ideology. <laughs> uh, David, I think that's actually, you know, we're just hitting the hour mark. I think that's a lovely note to, to wrap up on. Cool. Thank you so much for your time. Tell me, who would you like to platform? Um, so the organization I'd like to platform is called uh, Community Development Finance, and it is a nonprofit that exists in the Bay Area, California. Um, they started a project called Community Check Cashing about 10 years ago, which was the first nonprofit check cashing store in America. Um, so uh, rates that are essentially just at cost for them, the essentially the lowest cost lending you can get for uh, people who can't go to banks essentially for anything. And then also super cheap check cashing um, for people who don't have bank accounts. And what this has done is allow them to kind of outcompete the for-profit check cashers um, in in their area right there. So if I were to, and I actually went to experts in the check cashing and, and payday loan field and said, you know, if you had a billion dollars, what would you do? And and they literally came back to me and said, I would expand this store's model nationwide. Um, this oh, this one check cashing store, like literally a billion dollars could could drive out this extremely exploitative. Uh, usurious uh, industry that extracts, you know, billions from people every year. Um, and it goes back to that conversation we were having about for-profit versus non-profit incentives mm -hmm. and the difficulty of running a, a for-profit that has a mission in it. Um, in this case, if you have a non-profit check cashing and payday loan model, it massively outcompetes the for-profit model because the for-profit model has to take profit. Right. Like there's no way for the for profit one to outcompete the nonprofit in this case, um, which is a good thing for everyone involved, except the people who run the for profit check cashing companies. Right. And so um, I would love to see community development finance get, you know, a billion dollars to, to build out that model and just eliminate check cashing through market means, like not even having to make a law or restrict anything about the about how 
the bad lenders operate, you could just have nonprofit lending like be available for everyone so no one would ever have to choose to go to a you know someone who's going to screw them that's awesome let's help them get a billion dollars exactly <laughs> find a way david thank you so much for your time it was a real pleasure speaking with you thank you rachel appreciate it hello everyone me again you can find simbi at simbi.com that's s-i-m-b-i.com where you can sign up, become part of the community, start trading your skills or looking for skills and trading those Simbi credits. I would highly recommend getting involved. Uh, I don't know about you, but I was really impressed with David's introduction on this episode. So go and have a look and also head over to platformenterprise.com to sign up to get these podcast episodes and the occasional newsletter delivered to your inbox every week. All right. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast, everyone. See you next week.